Well, once again, happy Easter to everyone. Hasn't our music this morning been awesome? What an awesome gift God has given to us in the, the blessing of music. And so thankful for uh, our musicians and really all who have volunteered to make Easter at Bethlehem happen today. Um, just, just an awesome start to our, our service. Um, Again, a great blessing to, to be with you today uh, at this service and uh, look forward to sharing God's word with you right now. I'm um, wondering if, do you ever have questions about things that you see? Do you ever have questions about things that you hear? <laughs> this happened to me a few weeks ago and happens often, but a few weeks ago in particular, I was online and, and saw a particular Easter picture that caused me to have some questions. I don't know, would you like to see it? All right, here it is. Man, where do I start? I had a whole lot of questions about this picture. Uh, first of all, um, is it real? Because the, the way that it looks, um, it, it, I hope it's photoshopped, you know. Um, also, how did they get this cute little girl to smile so wonderfully with such a ridiculous-looking Easter bunny behind her? Um, wondering, why could whoever got this costume not find an Easter bunny costume that uh, had eyes that were, like, level and not crooked? If you look real closely, you'll notice, too, there's like a professional background in the back, which means that this was a photo studio, which means that there was a long line of kids who were all ready to get their pictures, too, with this Easter bunny. And, and I'm just wondering how the people in charge ever let this happen. I have a lot of questions. Like, what was that planning meeting like? You know, okay, boys, our Easter budget this year is real small. You may not be able to find a cute costume. It might scare the kids, but, you know, make sure it's cheap. That's all I care about. And this is, this is what they came up with. I, I have questions sometimes. Do you have questions about things that you see? Things that you hear? Some questions like the, okay, you can take the picture down now. It's, thank you. Some questions about pictures like this certainly are trivial and of little significance. But there are other questions that we have, and especially, I, I can bet, some of them come out on Easter that are not trivial, but that are very, very significant and really, really important. As we gather here today, we are, are hearing and seeing things that elicit certain feelings and certain emotions, and we're hearing certain messages and unless you've been sleeping up to this point, it's probably elicited some questions from you. We have questions about God and about life and about death and about eternity. And the first point that I want to share with you today is the, the first fill-in if you took out your, your insert in the handout. It's just this. I want you to know that this is a great place to bring your questions. That Bethlehem, this Christian church, and probably many others, but this one in particular is a safe, good, great place to bring your questions. And honestly, that is probably a big deal for you, for some of you. 
Because some of you that maybe don't go to church very often, maybe one of the reasons why that happened is you grew up with lots of questions that never seemed to be answered or even addressed. You asked questions once and it just felt like the pastor or the congregation didn't have time for your questions. Just believe, right? And there's some truth to that. But some of us have felt like we couldn't ask our questions. Or that for some reason we were less of a Christian if we had them or if we struggled with doubts. Let me be really clear. And maybe this will make you feel better. Church people have questions. Christians who love Jesus and follow him and know that he loves them, sometimes because of the circumstances or the situations of life, we have doubts. Even, don't tell anyone outside this room, even pastors sometimes have questions. Because life happens. And we have questions about God and questions about his goodness and questions about his love and questions about his plan. What we're going to do today on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, is what I would like to do is to show you how in Luke 24, God provides us with a framework through which we can work through questions about God and his plan. I'm not saying that we're going to answer all your questions today. What I'm saying is I'm going to give you a framework through which to think about the questions and maybe minimize or shrink some of your doubts. So we're going to be looking at what happened after the account that I read earlier. So Luke wrote about how the women and then Peter and John went to the tomb, found it empty. And then it continues in Luke 24, verse 13, about two people who went on a road trip to a town called Emmaus on Easter Sunday afternoon. We continue with verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. Now, that same day, that same day that Jesus rose from the dead, that same day that the tomb was found empty, two of them, two of Jesus' followers, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're on a road trip to Emmaus, a road trip back home. Verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. You know how you have some road trips that have lots to talk about and some road trips where you're just kind of silent and kids put movies on and all that, right? This was one of those road trips where there's a lot to talk about. And no doubt, one of the big things they were talking about is what it felt like to see and experience their good friend and the one that they followed named Jesus be crucified, what they believed and what we know to be innocently on a cross, to suffer crucifixion. Had to have been a horrible thing to see a loved one crucified. So they're talking about all of that, verse 15, as they walk. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. That's kind of funny, don't you think? I mean, they're, they're walking, they're talking about Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And he starts walking with them. Now, catch that last part. It's really important to understand the full context here. That for whatever reason, God decided to 
sort of mask their eyes so that they were not able to recognize that he who was walking with them and eventually talking with them actually was the risen Savior, Jesus. Next verse. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. They stopped right there in the middle of the road on their road trip to Emmaus. Because they're that sad. Their faces are downcast. This was not a day. These were not two followers of Jesus who were filled with, you know, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This was a day filled with lots of sadness, with some fear, and with lots of questions that these two followers had. We continue. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So Cleopas, and actually both the guys, are so surprised that this guy that's walking with them wouldn't know what had all happened. Now obviously Jesus did know what had all happened, but they didn't know it was Jesus. Are you someone who's been under a rock for three days? Everyone in Jerusalem and the surrounding area knows what happened to Jesus, to Jesus of Nazareth. Next verse. What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Next verse. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. And I think in those highlighted words, we come to the crux of the problem and of the sorrow of these two followers of Jesus. They had hopes as to what it would mean to follow Jesus. They had hopes as to what it would mean for them in this life to follow Jesus. They had hopes for what Jesus, what God would do for them. And what did that have to do with? It's found in the other bolded words, that they, that Jesus would redeem Israel. That word redeem specifically means to free from slavery to set free, to give freedom to. And in this context, they're specifically talking about the hope. We had hoped that the Savior, that Jesus would be the one who would free us, Israel, from slavery to the Romans. That we would get our country back, that we would have our freedoms back, that because of Jesus, our life on earth would we be better. That Jesus would make our circumstances better. And so they went home because 
it seemed when Jesus was crucified that all of their hopes had been dashed. And so why stick around Jerusalem? They, they went home. They had questions. They were disappointed with God. But here's the thing. Remember this framework? It's not that Jesus was unfaithful or God was unloving. What the problem for these two travelers is a problem that sometimes we face too. They expected from God things which God never had promised. Let me say that again because it's really, really important because a lot of our questions about God and his love come from this place. It wasn't for these two that God was unfaithful or that God was unloving. The reason why they had so many questions and were so filled with sadness is because what they had hoped about God, what they expected from him, is not what God had promised. Or to put it this way, our next fill-in, Questions grow when we've expected outcomes God has not directed. Questions grow when we've expected outcomes God has not directed. Here's what I know about you. And the reason why I know it about you is because I know it's true about me. There are times in life where some of our biggest questions about God are connected to hopes that I had for life that did not turn out the way I had hoped them to. I hoped to get into that college, but I didn't. I hoped to find someone to marry, but I haven't. I hoped that we were going to be able to have kids, but we haven't. I had hoped that marriage was going to be easier, but it's not. I had hoped that we were going to get out of this financial crisis and tension, but we haven't. I hoped by now I would feel better, but I don't. I had hoped that he was going to be around longer, and now He's dead. I had hoped that she would get better, but she hasn't. I had hoped that the Vikings would beat the Eagles. <laughs> it was getting a little serious there for a moment, so I thought I'd bring you back in. But that didn't happen either, did it? We have these hopes, and I want to be really upfront with you and, and really honest with you. I'm not going to, for a moment, minimize those hopes that you have or had or the things that you've hoped for and to think that they're not a big deal. They are a big deal. The things that are on your heart are likely a big deal. And sometimes, Life is like a sucker punch to the gut, and it hurts. And I don't want you to feel like you have to cover that up. It hurts. Life can hurt. 
But here's what I want you to bring you back to. Because in those moments, we have these questions about God, right? What you're feeling, that hurt, is not the result of a God who is unloving or uncaring or doesn't hear from you or hearing you. Those moments of I had hoped and things went bad or things never got better. All of that, all of the, the, the terribleness of life, the disappointment of life are results of sin. <laughs> sin in this world, sin in us, that without which life would have been a perfect utopia, that with which there are disappointments and challenges and struggles, and I had hoped. But it's not. Because God doesn't hear you, or God doesn't love you. He hears you. He loves you. Questions grow when we've expected outcomes God has not directed. Let's continue in our section, verse 22. In addition, so the two men are still talking with Jesus, Cleopas, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Next verse. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Did you catch what the men said to Jesus? I don't think I ever caught this before this time that I studied this text. We didn't talk about the timeline of their road trip to Emmaus yet. Do you know when they set off for Emmaus? It was after the women had gone to the tomb, seen that it was empty, and reported to them and the rest of the disciples gathered there that they had seen angels that said that Jesus wasn't dead but alive. They set off away from Jerusalem and go back home with their faces downcast after Peter and John then went to the tomb because they didn't believe the women, found out a very important lesson that women are always right. I mean, that's biblical, right? And also found out that the tomb was empty, just like the women said. And then these two men decide, huh, I guess I'm going to go home. Nothing to stick around for. Isn't that weird? Wouldn't it be you say, I might stick it out the day. There might be something amazing going on. I mean, the women said they saw angels. Isn't it weird that they left to go home with their faces downcast? Instead of waiting to see what God might be doing? Here's how I wrote it for us to think about. That they were so fixated on what they were wanting that they couldn't see what God was doing. They were so fixated on what they were wanting, i.e., Jesus to redeem Israel from the Romans, that they were blind to that which God was doing 
around them. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been so fixated on something that you missed everything else? <laughs> a few years ago, I was uh, at the gym um, working out, and, and usually when I, I work out or exercise, I put earbuds in my ears, and I, I don't rock out to music because, let's be frank, pastors don't rock out to anything, really. <laughs> but instead, I... I usually listen to podcasts. So I listen to podcasts about leadership, about preaching, about family and marriage. You know, kind of those are my, my go-tos, things that I like to learn and improve on. And when I listen to one that I'm really engrossed in, like things can be happening all around me and I'm, I do not notice, right? So if you ever come to the gym, see me exercising, wave at me and I don't wave back. It's not that I don't like you. It's just that I'm probably fixated on whatever it is that I'm listening to. Well, a couple years ago, um, I think it was in June, I was pulling a 45-pound plate off the, uh, the bar, and I forgot because I was engrossed in listening that there's a 25-pound plate in front of it. So I'm holding on to the 45. The 25 is sliding along with the 45. I'm listening to my podcast, and it falls right on my foot. It's like three, four weeks. I'm limping around basketball camp that year. I'm like, Greg and Brad are making fun of me the entire time because I can't walk. And You see, we can get fixated on things around, around us that we don't see all the other things that are happening. I think sometimes that happens with us and God. Like, you know that thing that you had hoped for that's not happening? Remember, I'm giving you a framework today to work through questions and doubts, right? Sometimes the problem isn't that God isn't up to anything or not doing anything. It's just that you're so fixated on the one thing that you're not seeing all the blessings that are around you. You're so fixated on what you want that you don't see what God is doing. And we do that in little ways when it comes to the little blessings of life that God fills each and every one of our days with. And so often we spend them our days like Eeyore because I had hoped. And and again, I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying there's good things going on in your life. But we're so fixated on what we want that we don't see what God is doing. Now, this was true for these guys, these men, these road trippers, in a really big way that we're going to unpack now. Verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are. You know what Jesus did first? He called them out. He said, you two, you're foolish. You're sinning right now. You're not thinking straight. How foolish you are for that type of thinking. You know what he's doing to me today? He's calling me out. How foolish you are, Ben, to doubt God's goodness and love because what you want is not happening. You know what he's doing to you? He's calling you out. How foolish we are in those seasons of life where we're blinded to what God is doing because we're so fixated on what we want. Let's keep going in the verse. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe 
all that the prophets, the Old Testament prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah, the Savior, the coming Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Isaiah 53, other Psalm 22. Don't you remember these sections that talk about what Jesus, what the Savior would need to do? We continue. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's kind of a summary word for the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Man, what a road trip, what a Bible class. Jesus, for seven miles and probably a couple hours, walking through the entire Old Testament. And do you know what he was teaching them? That the entire Bible is not about God coming to this earth and making everyone's life great. You know what he was teaching them? He wasn't teaching them about a way to get in relationship with God or to get to heaven, another way to say that that's paved with lots of good deeds and working hard. The entire time he's teaching them that the whole Old Testament points to people who are sinners like you and me, oh, how foolish you are, who have been given a Savior who would pay the punishment we deserve and give us heaven and forgiveness as a gift. That's what the entire Bible is about. And the reason why, if I had one chance to talk to someone about Christianity, it would be all about the resurrection, is because Jesus' death and resurrection is the culmination of God's amazing plan of forgiveness for you and for the world. And so as Jesus explained this, He taught them. Maybe as they've got questions about their circumstances, number three fill in for today. Jesus came to change your life, but in the process, he may not change your circumstances. Did you know Jesus can do that? He can change your life, both this life and the next, without necessarily changing your circumstances. He can change when you understand what he's done for you how you view life, your joy, your peace, your purpose, your strength in times of hardship. Jesus came to change your life, but it may mean that he may not change your circumstances. Now that doesn't mean he can't change your circumstances. It doesn't mean that he won't change your circumstances. He may. It just means that that's not his primary purpose. You see, in God's economy, in God's thinking, which I tend to agree with, he could even either change your eternity to be one of blessing and relationship or change your life, the 80, 70, 50 years that you have. And God, in his goodness, decided to change your eternity through what Jesus has done. As I was reading this section this week and seeing how these two disciples were so fixated on redemption or being released from slavery and the wrong kind, it made me think about a verse in Hebrews chapter 2 that gets to the crux of what Jesus did using the exact 
same word of redemption. Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children, or since human beings, have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity. He became a human being so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, verse 15, and free, come back to that, those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus came to bring redemption and release from slavery. But not slavery to our circumstances or slavery to the Romans. He came to free us from the slavery of the fear of death. Death stinks. I hate it. If you are someone who's ever lost someone you've really loved to death or someone has died, had to bury someone that you love. You know exactly what I mean. Some of the most difficult things in life, probably the most difficult thing in life, is to, to bury someone that you love. And the, the remnants of death, they're all around us, aren't they? I mean, think about how many things we do that are related to the fact that we're going to die. Life insurance. Why do you need it? Well, we're going to die. A will. We're going to die. Seat belts. I mean, we wouldn't die. You don't need those. It'd just be the 80s again. <laughs> Airbags. Every time you, you go by a cemetery or a funeral home, what do you think about at times? There's remnants of death are everywhere. You look in the mirror and you see more wrinkles and less hair. You know what that is? It's death knocking. <laughs> right? And some people, maybe it's you, have spent a lot of your life just trying to ignore it and pretend that it's not there. Hate to say it. Unless Jesus returns first, it's coming. But here's what I get to tell you. That Jesus came to free you from that slavery of the fear of death. That you don't need to fear. Because you know what's on the other side of death? Life. The better kind. The best kind. Because of Easter. Because Jesus conquered death. He's freed you. From the slavery to the fear of death. And there is no greater blessing we could ever receive than that. As we close, kind of one last little application. It's our last fill-in for today. You see, you might be a person who's run from Jesus. But I, I want you to know that you have a Jesus. You have a Savior that doesn't run from you. I want you to, to think about this, the context of this road trip to Emmaus. It's pretty amazing. Jesus has just died. The most horrible death ever suffered. Not because he was the only one crucified, but because he was the only one who suffered the pains of hell and then has lived to tell about it. 
And after he's done being whipped and beaten and nailed, he rises from the dead. And there's these two disciples who had heard that Jesus probably has risen, but they're busy doing what? Running away. Their questions have led them away. And if I was Jesus, and man, glad I'm not, I think I would have said, fine, go. I've done so much for you, and you're heading in the opposite direction. But do you see what Jesus did? These people, in the midst of questions, in the midst of doubts that didn't disqualify them from having a relationship with Jesus, what did he do? He ran after them. He pursued people in their questions, not because he can answer every single question people has, have, but because when they realize that he's alive, your questions get smaller. And your hope, hope for eternity, sure. And so bring your questions. Jesus can handle them. And I, I'm not saying you'll have an answer for every single one. But when you bring them to Jesus, when you go to his word, it's amazing the peace that God can give you over your questions. Bring your questions and doubts. Jesus has encouragement and peace for you. He may not change your circumstances, but he certainly has changed your life. And that is what we celebrate today. So happy Easter to you. The day that our salvation was won and death was defeated. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this plan through which you give us hope that has nothing to do with how good we are, but has everything to do with God's grace and love and forgiveness. We thank you, Jesus, for suffering tremendously on our behalf so that we don't have to, that instead today, by faith in you, as we put our trust in you, we have relationship with you for now and for eternity. We pray that you continue to be with us in our questions and encourage us in our doubts. In Jesus' name we pray.